Go ahead and grab your seats. It's great to worship with you today. What a great time of worship. And I want to give a special shout out to everyone in Arizona who came to church in the middle of a crazy rainstorm. You've got a special blessing coming your way, represented by the blessing of that rain. It's going to be good. Hey, I want to give you an update. I want to say thanks to everybody who's been praying for my dad, Pastor Randy. Um, he's been in the hospital, was on a ventilator last Sunday, had a couple ups and downs this week, had a collapsed lung at one point. But right now he's doing well, he's stable, and we're just praying for God's healing on his body. And he's a good guy. I know he appreciates your prayers. So thank you for praying for him. Thank you for your messages and your support. It's good to know that whatever we go through, every single one of us, we're not in it alone. We got a church family, and more importantly, God's there with us in the middle of every situation, amen? We're in a series on the life of Jonah, studying in this book of Jonah in the Old Testament, and I wanna just invite you uh, to follow along with us today as we look in the book of Jonah. And this is the third week of the series. To give you a little bit of a recap, Jonah was a Jewish boy and God called him to go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against their wickedness. Nineveh was about 550 miles to the east and instead of going where God called him, Jonah ran 2,500 miles to the west in the opposite direction of where God called him, which I think is funny. It proves oftentimes we'll work five times harder to resist God than to just work with God. And as Jonah fled from God on a ship, uh, God sent a great storm and Jonah was thrown overboard and then the Lord sent a big fish to swallow Jonah and bring him back to the place he belonged. Inside the fish, Jonah repented to God for running away and the fish spit him up on dry land. I hate throwing up. The only thing worse than puking is being puked. <laughs> and then here is what we read in Jonah chapter three. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Say with me, say a second time. He said, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I have given you. I want to talk today about the God of second chances. Aren't you grateful for the God of second chances? I've experienced God's second and third and fourth chances in my life. You know, I grew up in a pastor's home. I grew up going to church. And even though I knew what was true and I knew God and I knew God's word, I still continued to disobey God and do a lot of sinful things. I was a notorious sinner. And the only thing worse than being a sinner is knowing what's right and still sinning anyway. But I did a lot of things that you would expect a notorious sinner to do. I would lie. I would steal. I would vandalize. I would rebel against authority. I would chase after girls. And I did everything that you, know, you would hope your kids don't do. And I remember how this all kind of culminated when I was a young adult. I graduated from college, entered the army, and I was kind of at this pinnacle of, of not really following God's path for my life, not really doing what was right. I was kind of chasing after the wrong things. I ended up getting married to the wrong person. That's why I always talk about relationships and how important it is to marry the right person. And six months into this new marriage, the girl I had married came home and said, this is a mistake, and she left and she divorced me. As that was happening, my unit got deployed to Iraq. And there I was in Iraq. I was at rock bottom, and I said last week that sometimes it's at rock bottom, you realize that Jesus is the rock at the bottom. 
There I was depressed and ashamed and really just feeling so much regret over all the stupid decisions I had made in my young life up to that point. And in that moment, the Lord met me there and I turned to Jesus fully and experienced his love and his grace and forgiveness. And my eyes were open to see it for the first time. And my relationship with him came to life like it had never been alive before. And not long after that, God called me into ministry to be a pastor. Now, a lot of you have only known me as a pastor. Not many of you knew me before I was a pastor. I'm really grateful for that, that you didn't know me back then because I was no altar boy. I was like a hell boy. And, and if you knew me back then, you'd probably be kind of surprised I'm a pastor now. God called me to be a pastor. And you know what? I was there in Kirkuk, Iraq. I was about 100 miles away from the city of Nineveh where God called Jonah to go. And God called me to be a pastor. And I was like, oh no. And God said, go. And I said, faux show. I didn't deserve God's grace and mercy, but we serve the God of second chances. And that's what I want you to understand today because I know that some of you have also made mistakes in your life. Some of you have blown it and done things that you really regret and there's no denying it. Let's just be honest, those things happened. The divorce happened, the bankruptcy happened, the relationship was strained. You lost your temper and punched a hole through the wall. You lost the relationship with your kids. You had the abortion, you went bad to pornography. You're still struggling with addiction. Maybe you ran away from God like Jonah, but God's mercies are new every morning and his faithfulness is great. We serve the God of second chances. In Proverbs 24, 16, it says this, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. Sometimes we fall because things happen to us. Sometimes we fall because we happen to us. <laughs> this passage, I want you to understand it in context and see the full picture here. Oftentimes in scripture, God uses numbers again and again to highlight consistent themes. And the number seven in the Bible is often used to communicate the concept of completeness and perfection. So think about how it's being used in this context. It's saying that the righteous man would fall seven times. This is communicating a complete failure, totally fallen. Though this man has fallen seven times and is a total failure, God calls him a righteous man. God says, this is a righteous person we're talking about here. But how can you fall? How can you be a total failure and then still be called righteous by God? That's because righteousness is not something we achieve. It's what we receive. It's not based on what we do, but what Christ has done. I want you to understand today that for every mess you've made, God has new mercies for you this morning. For every failure, God has a new portion of favor. Every blemish on your record, God is ready to cover with the robe of righteousness that Jesus has won on your behalf. He's the God of second chances. You might've fallen seven times, but God says, get up. And you might think, I can't get up. 
Well, you can get up because God can lift you up with his mighty hand, like a loving father teaching you to walk. When you fall, he doesn't give up on you. He lifts you up and says, come on, let's do it. Let's go. Try again. You can do it. I'm with you. I haven't given up on you because he's the God of second chances. And so I want you to understand a few things about how this works today. I'm going to give you three points. Here's the first one. To get a fresh start, start with repentance. Repentance is a word that not a lot of people really like because repentance involves taking responsibility for your mistakes. And there's this commonly used phrase in our culture where people say, no regrets. No regrets. No regrets, bro. I, don't, I wouldn't change anything. It's like, really? You wouldn't change anything? I'll just speak for myself. I've got lots of regrets. See, a Christian biblical perspective is, yeah, I have lots of regrets. I regret sinning. I regret breaking God's commandments. But even though I regret my mistakes, I recognize that God works everything together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So I regret my sin. And at the same time, I am thankful to God for redeeming me from my sin and still giving me a second chance. So we gotta understand repentance. Here's how most people respond to sin in their lives. There are four ways we can respond to sin. The first is to blame shift. You know how you spell blame? Be lame. And it's lame when you blame other people for your mistakes. But that's what so many people do. Like, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. Other people put me in this situation. I've just been hanging out with the wrong crowd. No, you are the wrong crowd, and that's why the wrong crowd wants to hang out with you. It's what our first parents, Adam and Eve, did, did the first man and woman. God put them in the garden, and it was totally good. And he said, I've got one rule. Don't touch this one tree. And what did they do? They touched the tree. And then they hid because their eyes were open, and they realized their sin, and they felt guilt like we all feel when we sin. So they were hiding from God, and God came, and he found them, and he said, uh, why are you hiding? And they're like, because we were afraid. And, and they asked, God asked Adam, Adam, did you touch the tree I told you not to touch? And Adam looked at God and he looked at Eve and he looked at God and he said, it's the woman's fault. It's the woman who you gave me. Blaming the woman and God for his own choices. And ever since then, mankind's been trying to blame other people for their own mistakes. And no one has to teach us to do this. I remember when I was little, my little brother, Kyle, uh, he came upstairs one day and I was young too. He's like two years younger than me, but he was about a toddler and he had peed his pants. It's cool. It happens. Everyone pees their pants. And my dad asked him, he said, Kyle, did you pee your pants? And Kyle said, no, Ryan did. We just do it. We just do it. So we try to blame shift. The other thing we try to do is we try to hide our sin. Like Adam and Eve hid from God. People think, I can just erase the browser history and it'll be like it never happened. We have to work five times harder to hide our sin than if we would just let God heal us of our sin. But you can't hide sin from God. He knows everything. Other people might not know. But the word of God says, be sure your sins will find you out. You can hide for a while, but not forever. Another thing we try to do is try to rationalize our sin. 
We try to rationalize it away and explain why it really isn't a big deal. Like, well, it's not hurting anyone. Or if you were in my shoes, you would have done the same thing. It's just my personality type. I, I got my Myers-Briggs test back and said I'm a J-E-R-K. It's not my fault. It's, just my, it's how God made me. <laughs> you can rationalize anything if you try hard enough, but rationalization doesn't make you righteous. The only thing that leads to righteousness in spite of failure is repentance. Repentance leads to righteousness. And when you repent, it starts with taking responsibility and saying, this is my fault. I'm responsible for my own choices I was wrong. This is what Jonah did in Jonah chapter one, verse 12. He said, I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. He's on this ship fleeing from God and this storm came. He didn't blame the sailors and say, like, you're not good at your job. He said, it's my fault that this storm has, came, has, has come. So you gotta take responsibility and then you gotta turn from your sin. To repent means to turn away from sin and, and, and then to turn toward God. Not just turn from sin, but turn toward God. You see an example of this in Jonah chapter two. It says this, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. What I have vowed, I will make good. Some people, they run away from God's mercy, but he's saying, I'm gonna turn towards God. I'm gonna do what God has called me to do. Turn away from sin and towards God's grace. I, I think about golf. Anybody play golf here uh, today? Yeah, I played some golf in my day. You know why they call it golf? Because all the other four letter words were already taken. It's so frustrating. <laughs> Man, it's so frustrating. It's one of those games like you can try and try and try and still be terrible at golf. But you know what I love about golf? I love the mulligan. It's one of the best parts about golf. Like you hit a terrible shot and you shank that ball. And if you're playing with a very gracious partner, he'll say, ah, take a mulligan. And then you get to drop the ball and take another shot. And it's like that terrible shot never happened. It doesn't even affect your score. And God's grace is a lot like a mulligan. In Proverbs, it says this in Proverbs 28, a man who refuses to admit his mistakes can never be successful. But if he confesses and forsakes them, he gets another chance. You can have another chance. You can have a second chance when you confess, when you repent, when you own your mistakes and turn away from them. This is a promise that God gives you. So the only holdup to the healing of your hangup is you. You don't have to wait on anyone else. You're definitely not waiting on God. He's waiting on you. And he's saying, as soon as you'll turn away from sin and confess it, repent, I will give you another chance. Get a fresh start, start with repentance. And then if God has given you a second chance, this leads me to the second point, make sure that you live with great gratitude. Live with great gratitude. We have a God who gives us second chances, third chances, fourth chances. And so we should be pretty grateful people, shouldn't we? Be the person who says, thank you, God. You've forgiven me. You saved me. You brought me through the bankruptcy, the divorce, the affair, the failure. I thought it would kill me, but you rescued me. Thank you, God. When I got married to Amy, my wife, you know, she, she's so awesome and truly is better than I deserve. And I told her at our wedding that I felt like she was a representation of God's grace for me. She was better than I deserved 
and yet she loved me. And I wrestled at first for the first couple of years during our marriage. I had this fear inside that she would leave me because I felt like she was too good for me. I was really grateful that she married me, but I had this fear. And I would tell her sometimes like, you know, I'm kind of, I had this fear that you're just not gonna come home one day. Cause you know, you're, you're, you're too good for me. And she would say, that's ridiculous. But I want you to keep thinking that. <laughs> I was so grateful that God brought her into my life. And the thing is, you're grateful when you get better than you deserve. God has given us so much better than what we deserve. And when you realize that, it makes you grateful. Jonah in chapter two, he said, I will offer sacrifices to you with songs of praise. And in this verse, it's so powerful. We see a representation the two greatest ways to express gratitude to God, I think. The first is through giving, and sacrifices is a word in the Old Testament that's often used for giving, giving a sacrifice, giving an offering to God. They gave then the way that we give now. And then you see singing, singing to God. And so, I mean, I am so proud of our church. We have a very generous giving church because we have a very grateful church. We give to God because we're grateful for all that he's given to us. It's not something we have to do. It's something we get to do. Our salvation isn't contingent on us giving. We are saved. We are redeemed and forgiven. And so we give to God out of gratitude. And then he just so happens to bless us for giving. He happens to use our giving to reach other people. He does all these amazing things through our giving. But it starts with a heart of gratitude saying, God, thank you. I could never repay you, but my giving is a representation of my gratitude. And then we sing songs of praise. And this is one of the ways we express gratitude to God. If you're new to church, or maybe you haven't been a Christian very long, and you've been coming for a while, you might wonder, why do we spend so much time singing? Like, man, these guys are really into singing, really artsy-fartsy around here. Lots of kumbaya singing time. What's that all about? Well, it's very biblical. I'm gonna do a series in a couple months about praise and worship and biblically why we do what we do. But we sing praise to God because God hardwired us he hardwired us down in our DNA and our makeup to express gratitude through shouts of praise, singing, joyfully clapping, lifting our hands, jumping for joy. And that is just the way God made us. It's the natural way to express joy and gratitude. I wanna show you how natural this is. And so I want you to check out this video of big winners on The Price is Right. So uh, imagine Bob says, you win both showcases, and the person just stands there. I'm expressing my joy silently in my heart. Or I don't feel comfortable expressing my gratitude in front of other people. That's what I do in private. <laughs> 
Like that's just not natural, right? That's, that's a weird way to respond. And here are these people, they are just naturally responding the way that God hardwired them to, to respond when you're grateful and filled with joy. They're raising their hands, they're clapping, they're crying, they're shouting. It just comes out of you. That's the natural thing to do. And yet when we sit in church so often, I look around the room and so many people are worshiping like this. And the thing is like, I'm not judging what's going on in his heart. He might be super grateful for all that Jesus has done for him. You just can't tell by looking at him, can you? It's an unnatural way to express gratitude. And so what naturally comes out of us as Christians is raising our hands, clapping our hands, singing for joy, you know, shout, just being so overwhelmed because of what Jesus has done. And we have every reason to be overwhelmed. We know, man, my sins have been forgiven. I'm so grateful. I've become a child of God. I'm so grateful. I'm going to heaven. I'm victorious. Like, I'm so grateful. And we get to say, thank you, God. I'm so grateful. And we got to live this way in everything that we do. Uh, some people don't do this because they're not comfortable with it. Uh, and I know some of you might struggle with this. Maybe you don't feel comfortable responding that way. I know one of the reasons why people feel uncomfortable responding that way. That's because some of you, you come into church on Sunday and you know I have sinned this week. And so if I worship God that way, it'll make me a hypocrite. I can't worship like that knowing what I've done. That would make me a hypocrite. But you got to understand this. Please listen to me. Worshiping God is not about how great you are. It's about how gracious God is. If you've sinned, if you've made mistakes, and like most of it, probably every week we have, you come into church on Sunday and you have even more reason to worship God because you've been forgiven of even more. Jesus said, those who have been forgiven much, love much. And when you know you've been forgiven of much sin, it's only proper to respond with so much gratitude through giving and worship. Live with gratitude when God gives you a second chance. And then here's the third thing. When God gives you a second chance, expect God to use you. Expect him to still use you. In Jonah chapter three, verse one, it says this again. Then the Lord spoke to Jonah a second time. Remember that? Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and deliver the message I have given you. So I know this would have been shocking to Jonah because these are the exact same words God used to call him in chapter one. God called him in chapter one and then what happened? Jonah ran from God. He rebelled against God. He betrayed God. He had a crisis of faith and doubted God. And then here is God repeating the exact same message to Jonah. Almost like saying, Jonah, I know you've made mistakes, but my calling is still on. The calling on your life is still on. Because remember what you read in Romans, God's gifts and his calling are irrevocable irrevocable. Then Jonah gets up and goes to Nineveh at last after so much struggle and he preaches an eight-word sermon. It was a terrible sermon. There was no introduction, no funny stories, 
No illustrations with coffee beans or ladders. Just a simple sermon. And then what happened? Probably the greatest revival in human history. 120,000 people repented of their sin and turned to God. Because God's gifts and his calling are irrevocable. It makes me think about Peter, another guy in the Bible who got a really amazing second chance. He was a fisherman, and Jesus called him to come and be a disciple. And he was Jesus' right-hand man. He was one of Jesus' best friends. He was very close to Jesus among the disciples, possibly the closest, if not one of the three closest. And there was one point where Jesus got up and he said to all of his disciples, he said, you're all going to leave me. You're all going to say you never even knew me. And the disciples were looking around like, what, what? And Peter's like, Lord, they might leave you, but I will never leave you. (laughs) Don't make promises to God you can't keep. We know what happened that eventually Jesus was arrested and he was took to a trial and Peter was standing outside the trial. And it says in John 18, look at this interesting detail. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. This is really interesting that the Bible gives us this specific detail. It was a charcoal fire. Anybody grill in here? You know, charcoal has a really specific smell. What, what we know is he was standing, Peter was standing around this fire with some servants and some guards. And one of them asked him, hey, aren't you that guy that hangs out with Jesus? And Peter said, no, not me. And, and then a little girl asked him like, hey, aren't you that guy who is a friend of Jesus? And he's like, nope. I don't know him. Third time, don't you know Jesus? No, I never knew him. And then as predicted by Jesus, the rooster crowed, signaling, Peter, you denied me not just once, but three times. This was definitely the greatest failure of his life. And then we see this interesting development. Jesus, after his crucifixion and resurrection, he appears to his disciples And obviously they're overjoyed by the resurrected Jesus. But then we know that Peter was probably still wrestling with guilt and shame over his betrayal. He had denied his savior. And so he did what so many guys do when life is tough. He went fishing. And we read this interesting kind of narrative in John chapter 21, just a couple chapters later, that they're out fishing in this boat and they see a guy by the shore. They didn't realize it was Jesus at first and they realized it was him and they came to shore and it said when they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire. How awesome would it be to have Jesus make you breakfast? (laughs) There it is again, a charcoal fire. It's really only places in scripture where it tells you the specific type of fire. Why is that? Well, I think there's a purpose here that church history says whenever Peter would hear the rooster crow, it would bring tears to his eyes as he remembered his greatest failure, denying Jesus three times. That first time he denied Jesus, right? He was standing around a charcoal fire. And science tells us this was even more powerful than our hearing and our sight is our smell. Your olfactory nerves run right by your amygdala and your brain where emotions and memories are contained. And I think Peter was receiving a special gift from Jesus in this moment where here's Jesus on the shore and he's having this breakfast with Peter and the smell of this charcoal fire is filling Peter's nostrils again and taking him back to that moment when he denied Jesus. 
And I think what the son of God was doing is he was saying, Peter, I'm going to replace that memory of failure with a new memory of restoration. In this moment, when Jesus was sitting there with Peter by this charcoal fire, Jesus asked him a question three times. He said, do you love me? And Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my lambs. He asked him again, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you. He said, then take care of my sheep. And then it said, Jesus asked him a third time, Peter, do you love me? And it said that Peter was hurt for a moment because he knew what was happening, that Jesus was making a connection to the time he had denied him three times. Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. He restored Peter to his calling and appointed him as the leader of his church despite Peter's terrible failure. He knew that Peter was gonna wake up every morning and hear the rooster crow and be reminded of his great failure, but that he was also gonna sit down to three square meals a day and that his nostrils would be filled with the smoke of a charcoal fire and he would remember the moment of his restoration, his calling and his healing. This is what Jesus wants for all of us. He wants us to, re to remember that he is the God of second chances and that he can still use you despite your failures. I know that, here's what we think. We think that people will reject us when we fail and they oftentimes do. And so we expect God to reject us when we fail, but that is not what he does. God does not love some version of you. God does not love some perfect version of who you could have been. You're the only version of you that Jesus died for and ever planned to use. You're not second best to Jesus because you received a second chance. You're not a consolation prize to God. You're the only version of you that Jesus ever planned to use. Your failures don't disqualify you. Your failures actually, actually make you the right man for the job, the right woman for the job. God says, I'm still gonna use you. I'm still gonna use you. I have a great plan for your life, not to harm you, but to give you hope and a future because he's the God of second chances, amen? Aren't you grateful for his second chances, his third chances? His mercies are new every morning. And maybe there's someone with us today, you say, I need a second chance. I need God's forgiveness. I want to be used by God. And I'm tired of resisting him. I'm tired of running from him. I'm ready to turn towards him. I want my life to be redeemed. Just like God redeemed Peter and Jonah and me, he can redeem you. So wherever you're at today, in Mesa and Ahwatukee, we're online. Let's just take a moment for this. Let's bow our heads right now. Just close your eyes. Just have a moment of privacy between you and God. And if you say, I wanna accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior, I wanna be forgiven because I'm ready to repent of my sins. I wanna be made new. I wanna start out fresh with a second chance. Then pray this prayer with me. Just say, God, forgive me. I confess my sin to you and I take responsibility. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin so that I can be forgiven. And I believe he rose again so that I could have eternal life and victory. I receive this gift, which I could never have achieved. I thank you for loving me. I thank you for leading me. 
And I want to live for you for the rest of my days in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to pray for anyone in our church who's been struggling with any kind of guilt or shame over mistakes or sins in your past, maybe from this week or from a long time ago. And maybe you're sitting here thinking like, God could never use me. I've made too many mistakes. I've done too many things. He couldn't give me a second chance. Yes, he could. Though you fall seven times, you can rise again because God can lift you up. If you're willing to repent of your sin, confess your mistakes and turn to him. If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So do it with me right now. Just say, God, I take responsibility for my mistakes. I confess my sin to you. I ask for forgiveness again. I thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Thank you for a new start. God, I pray that you would use me and lead me in Jesus' name. Amen.